Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 197 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 28th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, please drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'd love to hear from you. We have a lot of questions to get to today. You can also leave us a voicemail, 206 888 6755 is the number. That's 206-888-6755. Leave us a brief voicemail, and we will play it on the air. We have a couple of those again today. Like I said, we have a great show. We have Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. We'll have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Both of those guys were in the press box for USC, dropping half a hundred on Crosstown Rival UCLA, beating them 50 to nothing, obviously making the USC fan base very happy. we got a lot to get to, a lot to get to. On that front, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a separate podcast for USC recruiting again tomorrow. We did this last week; it worked pretty well. So Gerard Martinez will do a Trojan Blast podcast on Tuesday. You can still find that on PeristylePodcast.com, where the other shows are. So we'll do a separate recruiting show. So if you have any recruiting questions, send those in now. Get them in before Tuesday morning, and we can answer them with Gerard Martinez on the show. But without much, without without further ado, I should say we have Coach Harvey Hyde who was up there in the press box, like I said. Coach, what's going on? How you doing? Well, buddy, I'm doing great. The first thing I want to say is um, all the USC Trojan fans got their Christmas gift. A 10-2 and two season, a great finish to a season that at times uh, people question early in the year, including myself, but everything got turned around and everyone, uh, Santa was good. 10-2. and two, USC can sit back now. That means all the fans, the players, the coaches, and so on, enjoy the holiday season and watch everybody else do it. And I personally think that USC is one of the top five teams in the country playing the way they are currently playing. And I want to congratulate the coaching staff and all the players for uniting and uh, making everyone so happy, including themselves, and improving on a season and now have what I call an identity. Something they didn't have at the beginning of the year. They didn't have a last name. They had a lot of oars, oars, and oars, and oars <laughs> on their depth chart. But now they have a true, tro- a true Trojan football program that everyone can be really proud of. So congratulations to them and to everyone else out there. Happy holidays. All right. And uh, I wanted to, before we get into all of that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. They've been a great sponsor for 197 episodes, which is great. Uh, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, go into a theater, go to satickets.com, and uh, they'll help you out. And Coach, you, you mentioned the 10-2 and two season. Uh, a lot of great Trojan memories, uh, being able to turn things around. I mean, it, were you shocked at all? I know you talked in the beginning of the season about getting an identity, but I guess were you shocked that this team was able to do something I think it's really hard to do, improve each and every week, and it seemed like they did that. They got they probably played maybe their worst game at the beginning of the season and their, their best game at the last one against UCLA. 
No, I, I wasn't shocked, uh, Ryan. The reason why, if you remember at the beginning of the season, the first thing I said before they even played a game, I thought the Trojans would go 10-2. and two. Now, I hope people remember I said that before it all started. Why? Because I attended uh, spring practice, as you did, and fall camp, as you did, and so on, and others. And I knew that USC had the talent. I said at that time I would not change the roster with any other Pac-12 roster with anyone. And I said that if any coach had a choice, if it was a lottery and you put all the rosters in a can and you drew on who had first choice on all the players in the Pac-12, everyone would pick USC. So I knew they had great talent. I knew they had it going. And uh, it was just getting it going. And I think at the beginning of the year, there was an, uh, was not an identity. There was a lot of searching going on. I want to give uh, a great deal of uh, that uh, success to the coaching staff at USC. Was they learned as the season went along that they had a lot of great players. At the first uh, part of the season, it was all Robert Woods and Matt Barkley. That was it. There wasn't really a true belief in the running game. Uh, they forgot about uh, other great athletes they had, such as great tight ends, great receivers, great running backs, Marquise Lee, and others. I mean, others that didn't even play. And they started to find out by spreading the field and utilizing the talent on offense that they could become maybe one of the top offensive football teams in the country, which I think they currently are right now. I would love to see a USC-Alabama, USC-LSU game. I think it'd be a great football game. But we're all, you know, looking at that and saying uh, what a great game that would be, and we'll be talking about that for the entire offseason. On defense, they learned to adjust. They started to play their players. They put them in positions to win. They played fast. The defensive front finally stepped up and started to play like everyone expected them to play at the beginning of the season, which they did not show up. In their early games, they did not put pressure. They did not uh, play at the level that everyone anticipated them to play. But at the end of the year, they started to do that. And I think one thing that, too, you got to give Monty Kiffin credit because he brought that unit together after all the criticism that that coaching staff had and the unit had as far as not being able to stop teams like Arizona and so on, giving up 41 points and winning some close football games, which were – uh, tremendous as far as for the SC program to be able to do as they got better. The special teams were absolutely fantastic. John Baxter, congratulations. Kyle Negretti, a, a great punter and a great Richard kicker coming back. You've got a great kickoff guy and uh, that that is just a freshman too. And what a great job he's done as freshman snapper coming back. So you know, the cupboards aren't bare. And the number one unit that everyone wondered about was a bunch of individuals. They had never played together. That's the offensive line. And you don't just go out and become an offensive line without finding out more about each other and getting used to who's playing next to me. And the line started as individuals at the early part of the year, and they finished as a unit. Marcus uh, Martin uh, played and started every game, while two or three players, Martin Coleman and others, alternated at that position. They became a unit, a five-player uh, army that learned to block and protect the passer, seven sacks the entire year by an offensive line that has every the potential of every single player coming back. 
the rushing game certainly did improve and I thought could have been a lot better if given a chance, but uh, a real arsenal. You had a Marine Corps, you had the Army, you had the Air Force, didn't need the Navy, but uh, it was just a tremendous year of what you say growing up. And people have heard me use this term, uh, kids became men. Uh, the term freshman no longer res- uh, uh, is there. There are going to be now sophomores or juniors, but yet they have some great redshirt freshmen. They learn how to shave. They learn how to win. They know the feeling of winning. And I think that's something you can't buy. Congratulations to them. They're going into now their off season. what seems really funny for me to be in the off season at this time when you go 10-2. and two. But it's something that uh, is realistic. And it's something that uh, now is over with after this season, and they can look forward to a new. Uh, I agree 100%, Coach. And there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, naysayers around the program uh, when it started, and especially the way the team played. And uh, we have a question, not really a question, kind of a statement, though. Uh, Brian, from one, for one of these, it's kind of long, but I wanted to read it because I think we saw a lot of this kind of sentiment on the message boards, and people that I've talked to felt the same way. He says, uh, I must eat a little crow. And give Coach Kiffin props for a uh, NCAA-defying national naysayer nose-thumbing season. After the Arizona State embarrassment, I had joined vocal fan base ready to sign Kiffin's pink slip. Uh, it seems that all the things he was criticized for now are being are a big part of being his part of his success. Excuse me, uh, his low-key NFL-like focus on preparation and competition versus hype and emotion seem to be instrumental in our improvement and consistency, whereas Pete Carroll coach Trojans seem prone to letdowns against lesser opponents. Kiffin's teams uh, really come to play regardless of the opponent or venue. He appears more disciplined and more team-oriented than the past USC squads. We already knew he was a top recruiter, but he's shown a special knack for player development. Um, There are guys like Starling. He lists lists a lot of different guys, but many fans were crying to be benched. Uh, he sees something in Juwanta Starling and goes on to make big play after big play and becomes a defensive anchor. Even an established stud like Barkley has grown by leaps and bounds under Coach Kiffin's tutelage. Uh, we all know that Kiffin has a national perception problem, justly or not. Uh, nonetheless, given the circumstances he was dealt, I can't see any other coach more deserving of the Coach of the Year award. How much of a chance would you give him of winning, contrary to Barkley's Heisman bid or or uh, Woody's uh, Robert Woods Bolitnikoff odds. The sanction should only bolster Kiffin's resume for this honor. Fight on in one more year uh, from Brian. Very good. Thank you, Brian. I think you sort of summed it up. Uh, I think he did do a great job of coaching. I think he should be up for coach of the year, at least in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, I thought he had a tremendous season. And uh, will he be voted Pac-12 coach of the year? I don't know. By the media, maybe. By the coaches, I'm not sure. Why do you want to give a a coach this type of credit that already has such a great, great traditional program and acknowledge that what he did they couldn't do while being on probation? Uh, I think he deserves it. I think that if coaches step up and the media step up and do what's right, they'll do that. They will do that. Now, again, we come down to... Uh, as he said, uh, everybody hated USC at the beginning of the season and everybody loved and was cheering for USC at the end of the season because of what they overcame. Now, people look at the entire season 
and evaluate it properly and see how close their season was to being a perfect season as far as their loss to Stanford, who will be in a BCS Bowl game, and then their loss to Arizona State early in the year, their first road game, which they discovered it isn't fun to lose on the road. Uh, I would, I would, I would cast my vote strongly to Coach Lane Kiffin for the way of the progress of the program. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any way he couldn't win the Pac-12. I mean, obviously Brian Shaw's done a great job at Stanford. They're eleven and one, but just through the the fighting through the circumstances, I mean, Stanford was really good last year. Kiffin showed a lot of improvement, so I think he'll he'll win it there. I don't know about a national kind of thing. We'll see. We'll, but uh, for for sure in the Pac-12, he looks like he should be a favorite for that. Um, Coach, uh, sports information from USC sent out a uh, kind of a Matt Barkley uh, information packet about Heisman voting and stuff like that. I want to read a few of these stats for you. Uh, in the game against UCLA, he completed 83.3% of his passage passes, and it was a school record 35 completions and 42 attempts. 423 yards and, and a USC record tying with his own record. Six touchdowns, no picks. He hit 19 of his first 20 and 13 in a row. 39 TD passes was second most in the nation, and he broke Matt Leinart's Pac-12 and USC season record for, for TD passes. 69.1 completion percentage. That's uh, breaking Rob Johnson's 18-year-old USC season record, so that's the most any USC quarterbacks ever had. 308 completions. It's one shy of what Carson Palmer did in uh, 2002 and he had four game records the 35 passes 468 yards against arizona uh, six td passes against colorado and ucla and then total offense he had 470 against arizona in his last six games he threw 23 td passes and just two interceptions completing 70 percent of his passes pretty amazing so he got a lot better in the second half of the year and then his 10 touchdowns uh, and 68.4% of his passes are in for in USC's key games in 2011. So the win at Notre Dame, triple overtime loss to number four Stanford, and the win at number four Oregon. So against the best competition, he stepped up his game. I mean, what do you think about Matt Barkley's season? I mean, it was a, a marked improvement over his first two years. I think he improved this year more than he did the other uh, years in combined. I really do. In the last six games, he became what I call a quality great quarterback. I think uh, USC at the end of the year and Matt Barkley was the hottest offensive football team in the country. There's no question the last that he was as the quarterback. I know Robert Griffith III and a lot of these guys have had big wins and so on, but I think the hottest quarterback and the most consistent quarterback the last part of the season this year with the stats you just wrote, read, excuse me, were that uh, was Matt Barkley. There's no question about it. Uh, the team... Uh, like I say, I saw the polls that came out today, the AP poll, and they had him, what, ninth in the country. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if these guys go to the same football games that I don't do or anything else, and I can't believe the Harris poll doesn't have them in it or the coaches poll. My gosh, coaches, please, let's grow up and have them in these polls. And uh, I have them, the lowest I'd put them in any of my polls would be fifth or sixth. I just want you to know that. And I'd like to I'd like to see him play one, two, and three, and four uh, in a game the way they're playing currently right now. They are hot. They're playing well. They have confidence, and uh, this this team has grown up. So when I see them at ninth, and I look and see who's above them, please Virginia Tech, Boise State. Nothing. No disrespect. Please me. Please these teams. 
But I'm saying the way the Trojans are playing right now, the way they're playing right now, as a coach, an opponent coach, I would not want to play them. And if you don't, if you, if, you know, I'd love to see them call Alabama. And Alabama, of course, would have to say, we'd love to play them. Hell, they'd rather play LSU, okay? And uh, play someone that uh, has a great reputation. And those teams have great uh, reputations because of the Southeastern Conference way of promoting their football conference. And they have great athletes. But, uh, you know, last night's performance or Saturday night's performance by Matt Barkley, half the nation didn't even see it. All the newspaper guys had passed their deadlines. I mean, uh, in the East Coast, it was 1 o'clock when the game was over with. Most papers have all gone to press by then. So, and, and no talk radio was going on in the East Coast to talk about what had happened. And uh, after it got to be 29 nothing at half, how many people continued watching that game on the East Coast? So uh, we know exactly out here in the West who's good. I would match, excuse me for rambling on, because I really feel strongly about this, and I don't know how others feel. I would match Stanford, Oregon, and USC against any other three teams in any other conference in America, any other conference in America, uh, with their competition on any game day on a Saturday. Oh, I agree. It'd be a great match, especially with uh, SEC. You could put Arkansas, LSU, and Alabama. It'd be awesome to see a little round robin or something with the with those schools. Um, with Barkley, do you think uh, people talk about the Heisman Trophy? And uh, we're gonna we'll probably have Chris Houston on from HeismanPundit dot com to talk about this a little bit. And Coach, I don't know if you know, but this year I was uh, granted a Heisman vote, so I am actually a Heisman voter now. Um, so congratulations! I Thank congratulations. you, congratulations! Yeah, right. that, that's not something easy to get. That means you're doing such a great job. Well, th- I appreciate it. Yeah, they contacted me, and I was like, great, that'd be awesome. Um, but I do think Barkley's going to be in my top three right now. I haven't solidified everything what I want to do. I want to keep watching the games and stuff, but I think he's played well enough to get in there. Do you think he's going to get enough votes to, to go to New York? Because it can be a regional thing where do you think you know uh, voters in the South or voters in the East would or would not vote for him? Well, he has a lot of things going for him, and he's got some things not going for him. What I mean by that is the East Coast publicity. They didn't see him play at the end of the year when you have late games and so on. And I think also uh, politically, uh, you know, uh, when when your team is on probation and so on, I don't think the NCAA, after their punishment, uh, I don't think they're real happy at the success that USC has had. I, I don't think they're... They're gloating about, well, look, at we put them on this penalty and look how well they're doing. They haven't really dropped down much at all. So uh, as far as the individual himself, he deserves to be there. He deserves to be there. Will he be there? That's the question. Does the New York Athletic, uh, Athletic uh, Club have enough guts to say, hey, we're bringing this guy because of what he did on the football field, not because of what sanctions or probations or whatever USC is on. He is one of the top football players in America, and he deserves to be here. Yes, I think he should be there. Will he be there? I'd say it's 50-50 because of the feelings of uh, maybe others. Uh, you know, if you're in the Southeastern Conference and you're in Alabama and you got Trent Richardson that's going for the Heisman Trophy, you know, you don't want to give too much bub and uh, have him there. Uh, you want all their votes in that area in the Southeastern Conference. Well, how do you think they're all going to vote? They're going to vote for their uh, particular Trent Richardson. Now in the Pac-12, you got two votes. you got Andrew Luck and you got Matt, Matt Barkley. Well, the votes that are out here are going to vote for one or the other. 
So you split those votes. So there's a lot of politics in the Heisman Trophy as far as who the winner should be. I think it should be America's greatest football player. Doesn't have to be on a team that, you know, goes 10-0. and But a team, what he's done for college football, his team, and what he's been able to accomplish as a student athlete. And if you look at Matt Barkley, he certainly deserves to be in New York. Will he win the Heisman Trophy? I don't know when you have two candidates from the same conference. Uh, That's a great point there, Coach. Uh, We'll see. We'll keep uh, watching. Ballots are due by December 5th, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, We have a question. He says, my name is Pops. I'm not a USC grad, but I've been a fan from the days of John Arnett, C.R. Roberts, Willie Wood. I was lucky enough to have been at the USC-Notre Dame game where USC upset Notre Dame with Craig Furtick threw to Rod Sherman for the winning touchdown, the Notre Dame game where they came back from 24-3. to USC-Oklahoma, when Oklahoma came in number one in the Orange Bowl National Championship game recently where USC beat Oklahoma. So he had a couple questions. One was about kind of uh, the recruiting sanctions and, and how is USC going to stand up that. We'll get into that a little bit more. I mean, I, I think I mean, there's been so much talk about this. I, I, Pops, everyone does feel that these sanctions were unfair, and I think Coach has made it pretty clear over the last year, at least of shows, um, and the fact that USC is able to fight through it is pretty amazing. But his other question was about Jesse Scroggins uh, being a legit big-time quarterback if Barkley leaves after this year. Do you think he could lead the Trojans to a national championship? And you can even expand, Coach, to Max Wittick and Cody Kessler as well if you think any of these, these uh, USC freshmen could come in and step in and, and lead USC to a national championship next year if Barkley decides to leave. Well, I tell you, I think they're they're certainly capable of it. They come in with every type of recognition, uh, all high school player that you possibly can be. They came in in January, so it's not like they're they're new freshmen coming on campus. They've been their entire season. They had a spring ball. They're going to have another spring ball under the belt. And again, it's how you nurture them and how you bring them along. As far as you can't put all the pressure on your your quarterback as far as early parts of the season whoever that quarterback is going to be if Matt Barkley leaves. First of all, he couldn't inherit a greater group of receivers or running backs, and the offensive line is going to be tremendous and so on. So, And they should have a great defense, which gives them good field position. Special teams should be perfect. So what you do is you keep it simple. You allow him to have success, and you don't make it where he doesn't gain success along the way. You've got to have success to gain confidence in yourself. So uh, I would keep a, uh, stay a lot with the running game and make the, the passing game simple. But you're a great receiver. So, uh, they still can't cover your receivers because you have so many if you utilize the tight ends like they're starting to do now and other parts of their passing game and keeping it simple. And if George Farmer uh, gets back into the groove here, and, I, and I, I don't have time to talk about how I would play him, but where I would play him and how I would utilize him where it would be absolutely impossible to stop USC, Yes, I think a young kid can come in and do that, but you can't just throw him in there and have him learn by his mistakes. You've got to throw him in there and learn by being successful. And if he's just, say, being successful, then he can grow with his confidence, and then the team starts to believe in him too, and they accept him as their quarterback. So you want him to be really successful so everyone surrounding him believes in him too. So I think it's the way that you handle it and how you – I asked Lane Kiffin that question yesterday if you were listening on our Trojan Brunch show on ESPN. I said, Coach, I said, I know that you don't want to talk about this, but basically let's be realistic. Matt Barkley might not come back. 
what's going to be your process as far as selecting and uh, finding out who your next quarterback is going to be. And he just uh, avoided the question. He didn't answer it. He says one program isn't built about around one person, which is true, which is true. And, and he didn't really go into saying how and who and what's going to happen with it, but he just didn't want to talk about it, and I, I respected him for that. Um, it's funny. There's been a lot of comparisons to this team and, and the 2002 team that went to the Orange Bowl and beat up on Iowa. Carson Palmer won the Heisman Trophy, and I had a couple early season losses and bounced back from that. Uh, I guess one of the, the other comparisons you could make to the following year, 2003, when Matt Leiner came in, his very first – he didn't throw a college pass. Uh, very first pass he ever threw was a touchdown to Mike Williams uh, at Auburn. They got a turnover early in that game, and so it was kind of a start to his long and successful career. I mean, you could see something similar to that, like if a, a Jesse Scroggins, like Pops mentioned, or Cody Kessler or Max Whitick, whoever wins it out, um, they're, you know, the first game, they'll be their first college pass ever, So if, if Matt Barkley decides to leave. But there could be some parallels with the – 2003 season with the 2012 season and uh, as you know in 2003 USC won the national championship you're exactly right and again remember these players have been around there it's not like they they don't know the offense they've seen it happen they work with Matt Barkley they're on the sideline the entire game I'm glad they didn't have to burn a redshirt year or anything during this year but it gives them another year to mature and get better and understand it more so uh Yes, whoever it is, whoever is the heir apparent, if Matt leaves. Now, that's if Matt leaves, and there certainly seems to be an indication from what I hear. You know, I, I hear it in Lane Kiffin's voice, he should leave, or he's going to leave. He doesn't say he should leave, but uh, I try to recruit him back. But then again, that's very difficult to do in case something happens and he gets injured or whatever. But again, you can be insured up to a lot of money. But I'd like to see him come back and finish what he started. I'd like to see him come back with the whole group and finish what they started. And it'd be a chance of, like, I'm real big at getting even. And I think it'd be great to reestablish themselves in the Pac-12 and let everyone know who owns the Pac-12. Right now, Oregon thinks they own it. Stanford thought they owned it for a period of time. It's time now for the Trojans to come back under this difficult situation and say, hey, guys, we've been on vacation, but we're back. Well said, Coach. I think that'll make a lot of USC fans really happy. Hey, Coach, we have a voicemail question from a fan about Matt Barkley. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. Um, I have a question for Coach Harvey Hyder. After hearing the comments that Coach Giffen made after the game and on his show yesterday on the Trojan Brunch, um, I am now 99% sure that Barkley is going to the NFL. If he comes back, he would be the most beloved Trojan of all time. He could be bigger and more loved than Pat Hayden. Well, I wanted to get his thoughts, and thank you very much. Fight on. Well, thank you very much for getting back to us. We're getting a little OT here, which is great. And, uh, yes, I, I mentioned it, and I really feel this way. He has uh, big big decisions to make on, on whether he's coming back or not going, or going to the NFL. You know, there's some things that you can't buy in life, and that's experiences and loyalty and finishing something you start. Matt Barkley and his family reminds me of the type of individual that says if you're going to start a race, you want to finish a race. If you start a college education, you want to finish that education. If you start a commitment with USC, you want to finish that commitment. They had that commitment to start you as a freshman. I want to make that commitment to finish as a senior. Yes, uh, he could become probably 
uh, I would say this would be the biggest announcement or biggest press conference you could have in Southern California when he steps onto the platform and lets everyone know if he's going to be a Trojan or put his name into the NFL draft. I think it'd be something that the USC Trojan family and the sporting world would say, wow, that is something tremendous. It'd be great for college football. It would be great for young people looking on to coming in and say, why can't you do it like Andrew Luck did it? Why can't you be a college student and enjoy it like uh, Matt Leinart is? I, I went to college, and I want you to know, I never thought of coming out early, not that I could come out early. I tried to find a way to stay in another extra year. College was such so much fun to me. The friends you meet and the experiences you have and so on stay with you the rest of your life, your memories, and you can't put a price on that. No matter what Matt Barkley has accomplished, Ryan, I never heard you say he played in the Rose Bowl game. I never heard you say that he's going to be in a Hall of Fame, probably in a Hall of Fame at USC, but down the road, how about the opportunity of possibly being in the Hall of Fame of the Rose Bowl or most valuable player in the Rose Bowl or being able to say I played in the Rose Bowl? These are things uh, that you just can't buy, and those are memories you just can't forget. So, yes, he's got to decide on what he's going to do. I'd love to see him come back and represent the Trojan football program and college football and saying, hey, I'm one that believes in finishing and dotting the I. And that's what I'm hoping he'll do. Will he do it? That's for him and his parents to decide. Uh, I just hope he does. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's been a great season covering the the team on this podcast with you, Coach. And as you know, we go through the whole offseason. We don't miss a week talking all about USC football. We'll talk a lot of recruiting, obviously, leading up to February. But lots of topics to get to. We want to look back at some of the seniors and look ahead. And, and obviously, there's going to be some roster changes. So a lot of topics we're going to get to. And, Coach, we appreciate you coming on all season. And we're going to be episode here 200 in a couple of weeks. So that'll be fun, too. That's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, Ryan, I want to wish you and your staff a very happy holiday season. To all of our listeners out there, happy holidays to you. And you can sit back with me now and evaluate all the bowl games and selection Sunday, which will be coming up too. That's always interesting to see who's going where. In fact, I'd love to have time to tell you who I put in what bowl and who are the best teams in the country to have the best shows for us during the holiday season. But uh, we don't have time today. So maybe in the future we'll be able to do that. Okay, Ryan? That'd be great, Coach. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking football with us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you very much, and happy holidays, everyone. All right, everyone, happy holidays. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Happy Cyber Monday today. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are talking USC, UCLA football. We had Coach Harvey Hyde on in the first segment. 
Now we have Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, was up there in the press box as well and listening to all the players and coaches talk afterwards, Dan. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the, the Coliseum being as happy as it was uh, after that game. I don't. I don't think I can at all. I. I mean, that happy is a good word. I think that was just just absolutely joy. Those kids. Uh, they didn't want to leave the field. Uh, you know. I think some of them were there for. It seemed like a half an hour. Uh, this was one of the days where they didn't seem to be. Uh, you know, really trying to get them all back into the uh, locker room or anything. They just took their time and. Um, and some of those kids were easily out there half an hour taking pictures and just visiting with people. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't matter if they were, a, you know, fifth-year senior or, you know, first-year kid. Uh, uh, there was just uh, – that was as happy as uh, as you've ever seen, uh, you know, a group of uh, – you know, any player anywhere at any time. And that's, that's kind of the thing that kind of overwhelmed you and you felt like you had the, you know – write about that as much as possible just how how much joy there was uh they know what they did this year i think and they know you know what kind of an accomplishment uh that they had and uh they know how you know how they did it and and essentially they did it themselves and uh they were just so uh you know proud and pleased it was uh it was pretty neat uh you got to give them credit uh they uh they pulled off something I don't think a lot of people, you know, the record maybe people could have, you know, understood that they could they could hit the ten and two, but the way they did it and the fact how good they are right now, I think they know how good they are and how far they've come, and I think that's the thing that uh, may, you know just thrilled them is that you know a lot of teams have. I think Lane said it on Sunday. He said. Uh, you know, every team we played had a chance to go to a ball game and, you know, win the Pac-12, and we didn't. And yet, uh, look at how, you know, how they played. Uh, didn't matter. I mean, they, uh, you know, they're playing. I mean, you know, if you look at that game, for example, Saturday, UCLA had something to play for. They're going to, you know, they're going to the championship game. They technically still had a shot at the Rose Bowl. And USC didn't have any of those things, and yet uh, look at how how the two teams played. Um, so, yeah, they were happy was uh, was a really good way to say it. They were really happy. And uh, we got to see some emotion from Lane Kiffin, a little bit more emotion than we normally have. And uh, just afterwards, you know, you, you said players hung around on the field. We got to interview more players. They went to the band. You got to see Curtis McNeil and. Matt Barkley and, you know, some of the seniors, be, you know, leading the band uh, up on the, you know, with the sword in their hand. And uh, we waited in the press room for quite a while. Usually player, you know, K- Lane Kiffin comes out right away. Then a few players come out. Then they go shower. But they had already, you know, it seemed like they had showered, got their shirts. We were still waiting in the press room for coming on. We All the players come out. And it was just kind of a fun atmosphere. And as soon as I think one of the best moments was, Matt Barkley was speaking, and then the players behind him in the in the locker room, through the wall, you could hear him singing the fight song, and, and Matt had to stop and, and just kind of get a little bit emotional there as well, and Lane Kiffin came out and came emotional. So it was it was nice to genuinely see the season end on such a high note for these players and coaches. Well, and, and the other thing there was that uh, Lane had uh, had decided, and normally they have the, uh, uh, the seniors talk before the game, and... Uh, 
or the night, actually the night before, uh, and talk about, you know, what it means to be, a, you know, USC football player and all, of, all the kind of things, you know, to sum up. And I guess it was kind of a mutual understanding uh, and decision not to do that because then that would change their preparation that they, you know, have for every game. And if you did that, it would be like preparing for this game differently. And so, uh, and I think it was the seniors who said, why don't we wait until after the game? You know, we'll talk then. And that's what took so long because the thing that they normally do the night before were kids kind of summarize their feelings about, you know, the program and what it's meant to be part of it and all that they didn't do. And they said, you know, we'll wait, we'll do it after the game, and that's when we'll talk about this. And that's why, you know, they spent, you know, so much time in the, you know, in the locker room. But, again, it, it was a case of Lane and, and, and this team understanding uh, that uh, one of the, you know, the thing that's really helped them is the ability to prepare for every game the same. You know, the big game, you know, the game at Notre Dame, the game at, you know, at Eugene, they haven't, you know, tried to do anything special, you know, to compensate for, uh, uh, you know, all the, you know, other stuff that's going on around those games. And it's clearly benefited them that, uh, you know, the team that's had a lot going on, the Notre Dame kind of Super Bowl atmosphere, the, uh, uh, you know, Oregon with bringing in all the NBA guys and, you know, making a big deal out of it on that's both of them Saturday night games and all that, uh, that USC has benefited much more because they, they haven't done anything other than uh, prepare for the game and uh, forget all the hype. And uh, Lane has really convinced them of that, and they uh, they so believe it, uh, which is, uh, I guess, the only negative there is uh, for some of us that, you know, you go on the road, you'd still love to see them do the walkthroughs. Uh, <laughs> you know, but they're not, that's not what they do. And, and Lane just said, no, nope, we're, we're just, uh, you know, we're going to underplay everything and just get ready for the game and uh, forget the hype. And uh, and don't uh, you know don't change our routine for anything. And uh, boy, they uh, they have made that work for them uh, just tremendously uh, this year. And uh, I think I like what he's done is he really has turned a lot of this over uh, to this senior group uh, and these players to kind of trust themselves. And now that that did not work as well last year because the upperclassmen. We're kind of in, a, in an odd place, you know. They spent most of their career uh, under, uh, you know, the Carroll uh, coaching regime, and and uh, it wasn't easy for that group to know exactly where they were and what they do and, and all that. And, and yet now this year, even though these kids have spent, you know, a couple of years uh, under each coaching group, uh, they seem to have completely bought in to how this group approaches things and uh, how you prepare and how you do it. And it's just a matter of, it's not like one group's right and the other one's wrong or anything. It's just a different way of doing it. And uh, they really seem uh, comfortable about this is how we're going to do it. And uh, we're not going to, you know, and it reflects Lane's personality and it reflects just the way Lane is. Although, as you said, he did reveal some things in terms of his, you saw him more, in the tunnel and more emotional. And as he said yesterday, he said, you know, that's kind of who, who I really am. 
with the players, and the players know that. But he said it's just not something that he shows, you know, to people outside. And he doesn't feel, you know, I don't need to do that as long as the players know, uh, you know, who I am and how I kind of react with the players. And you know, that's uh, that's the thing. I think, you know, probably in all of college coaching, I don't know if there was anyone probably as misportrayed as Wayne Kiffin was uh, after coming from Tennessee and. and uh, all the ways in which um, uh, they, uh, you know, that Southeastern Conference experience, because Lane, you know, didn't bow down to the Southeastern Conference, did not go along with this is the greatest thing in the history of, you know, college football that that the SEC's got going. And uh, they didn't like that. Uh, and uh, uh, But uh, it would be interesting now to talk to all those Tennessee people and, and See if they're still paying attention to Lane, and uh, and they are. What they think uh, <laughs> what I'm, they think of Dan, of, uh, of what Lane's doing because I do think that probably was an undercurrent that as much as they didn't like him leaving, uh, they also had a sense of there goes our best chance to uh, you know get the program going again. I think that had to be part of uh, of the, the the undercurrent of why they were so upset with him. Yeah, well, I'm I'm married to a Tennessee fan, so I get to <laughs> hear perspective from her and some of her friends and really the fact that Derek Dooley is failing so poorly. They've had sure. their they've had two losing seasons in a row. Uh, they lost to Kentucky for the first time in I think it was 28 years, similar to what Hey, you, I covered the last time Kentucky won. I wow, was yeah. covering Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like USC. I can remember it. When yeah. USC lost to Oregon State after a 33-year run, I mean, it was kind of similar to that. To so imagine what those Tennessee fans are feeling like, and uh, according to the Tennessee people I talked to, I mean, they they still they put more blame on Lane Kiffin because the reason they're in this mess is because he left. So, I think they they probably acknowledge that man, if he stuck around, we'd be good. But they're also blaming him. Well, he left, okay. and now we're bad. It's the first time they've had back-to-back losing seasons. I think it was in the 1910s, in that like 1912 or something like that. Wow. Ooh. So, yeah, so there's still some blame. But now with Urban Meyer getting hired at Ohio State, maybe they'll some of the SEC hatred will go towards him instead of Lane Kiffin. Well, I don't uh, All I know is that if it could ever be worked out that, you know, there's there's some real karma, you know, in, in all of this, um, next year the championship game will be an SEC team against USC in uh, somewhere. Uh, I'm trying to think, where where is it next year? Uh, but uh, I know it's in New Orleans this year, and uh, you get a year, a year at a time, but uh, it would be a – kind of a fun thing to have Lane get a chance to, uh, you know, take a team against uh, uh, an SEC champ uh, for the BCS title, uh, which is, I guess, one of the things people, you know, overriding kind of the decisions of USC's juniors, especially Barkley, um, in terms of, uh, you know, what they do next year. Because uh, next year would be just about as interesting a year as you could possibly have if uh, if you know if Matt comes back, especially, and not that they you know couldn't do it like last time when uh, you know when Carson Palmer uh, left after 2002 with the Heisman and uh, and Troy Polamalu and and uh, still uh, you know with Liner uh, Liner coming in as a uh, you know in his first year as quarterback uh, you know and they win the national championship. I think uh, I think 
you know, it's not so much the fact that, uh, you know, this is the only way you could do it is if Matt comes back, but the idea that if Matt comes back, then you start out possibly at the very top or, or you know, right there. Uh, I know LRC's got a lot of guys back, but uh, but you're right there in the, in the picture all the way. You don't have to, you know, kind of force your way in in terms of, uh, you know, because of all the attention for the Heisman and all that other stuff. Uh, and it would be the kind of, you know, vindication that, hey, you, you know, they did everything they could try to do to, you know, kill the program. Uh, and, uh, you know, it looks almost stronger than ever, which would be, uh, you know, one of those uh, moments where you think, okay, uh, uh, Paul D. Uh, and the NCAA take that. You know, I mean, I actually was reading yesterday on, on one of the websites complaints that USC's penalties now were not uh, strong enough <laughs> because they didn't. They didn't knock him down as bad as they should have. I mean, that might have been on a, US, a UCLA board or some, somewhere that people were saying, you know, those weren't that, you know. I, oh, no, let's see. Somebody wrote, I'm trying to think who wrote. Someone wrote about how, um, it, it might have been Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports wrote about, you know, and one of his lines was something about the, you know, over-the-top, uh, you know, penalties, the second worst penalties in history. And there were people reacting to that now, saying, how could they have been given those penalties? Look at them. They're still, you know, look where they are. They're still good. Uh, they weren't strong enough. So there's a, a kind of a, uh, a rebound thing on those penalties now where saying, people were saying, gosh, you know, you, we, we thought they were killed. We thought, And that's part of the thing I think the – UCLA fans are going through. If you look at some of you know what they're saying, is the fact that, uh, and they're kind of going at one another a little bit, saying things like, you know, we should not have been uh, hoping that the penalties were going to whack USC so bad that we'd catch them, uh, because that's not how you catch them. You don't catch them because they go back. You catch them because you do your you do your program right. You have the right coach, the right players, and you get better. And they were kind of criticizing one another for feeling so good for a while that USC was going to get pulled back into the pack uh, with the penalties. And uh, I think some of them, you know, got the point and said, look, we've got to get better. We can't depend on uh, somebody else to take USC down. Uh, you know, let's get, let's get our program better. Uh, all right. Well, we have some questions on the game, so let me uh, let's jump into those. So we'll try to get to all of them. Thanks for sending them in again. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Uh, from David, from the very beginning of the game, when SC won the coin flip and uncharacteristically took the ball to the number of long passes Matt Barkley threw, to keeping the first team on the field to preserve the shutout, it's, it looked like Lane was determined not just to win but to put a memorable beat down on UCLA. And he says, "I'm not complaining." Does Dan agree? And does he think that Slick, Slick Rick's proclamation that a gap has been closed had anything to do with it? I I, I think the the players were so involved in that. I, I, I probably a couple of different times talked to Lane about that, and Lane seemed completely unaware of the depth to which his players took that as an insult. And uh, having never lost to UCLA. And having not seen themselves any indication that uh, the gap had been closed, 
they just really took that as an insult. And it, you know, personally, I, I didn't as much. I mean, I, I just took it as like Lane did more. It's what coaches do, what they say. And I think it was more, I think Rick Neuheisel meant it more as, well, we're not as horrible as we were. You know, okay, we lose some games badly. Uh, we embarrass ourselves at times like that Arizona game and the fight and all that. But we're at least hanging around. You know, we're, we may be the, you know, we were potentially in a three-way tie for who gets to go, if, you know, since USC is not eligible and all that. But he basically, I think, was saying we're a little bit closer because we're not as bad as we were. And in a way, he was using the gap as like, well, we're not so far down. I didn't come out and say it that way. But the USC players did not take it that way, especially the seniors. So, I mean, they really – I was out on the field. And, for example, um, <laughs> Hayes Pollard was shaking hands with some, you know, UCLA guys that he knows and the younger kids, and, and Dejon Harris yelled at him from the uh, goal line, and he was out kind of midfield, and he said, get over here right now, you know, and they, they actually weren't even thrilled about shaking hands uh, after the game. They just, the seniors were really um, uh, pretty upset about it. I think when Lane is, they just decided, you know, you, you, UCLA can't stop, uh, they can't, even though they had some good statistics as far as getting to the quarterback and that they decided they can't get to Barkley. They can't run with our, our the way they play, uh, the way they're going to defend uh, Lee and, and Woods. They're not going to be able to do it there. And they just decided, you know, we're just going to throw the ball uh, down the field, throw it deep. And then I think as the game went on, uh, obviously there were some, uh, uh, you know, Record issues in that with uh, with uh, uh, Barkley, uh, even the throwing the ball, you know, getting a pass uh, completion to Robbie Boyer there at the end, which is one of the reasons Lane uh, uh, spent a lot of time talking to Rick there at uh, at midfield, as he wanted to explain, you know, that Robbie uh, uh, had never caught a pass, and Matt really wanted to get a get a completion to Robbie, his cousin and next door neighbor, and you know, best friend and all that. Uh, so, uh, and I thought Neuheisel handled that that stuff really well. I think you know people you know get upset with him, but uh, but I thought he showed a lot of class, and he was uh, he was really good about uh, you know understanding that yeah that that's fine, um, uh, and didn't seem upset about you know the way USC played all the way through that game, and and uh, I didn't get the sense since the game plan was so much to throw the ball the way they did. Uh, it didn't seem like they were deviating from it or that they were, uh, you know, doing anything extra. And plus, let's face it, they haven't, you know, played a backup quarterback all year. So it wasn't like they were doing anything other than what they normally do. Uh, so, and I think in a rivalry game, it's almost a compliment to your opponent if you do play hard all the way and don't, you know, you know, you're, you know, say you started just uh, running quarterback sneaks or something. Uh, it's almost uh, uh, kind of a put down on the uh, on your opponent that you know what the heck you're not even you know deserving to be on the field. Uh, so uh, so I didn't get any uh, sense of that. I just thought they really really wanted to do everything. As, you know, they knew that they've they've gotten a lot better, and I just think they wanted to play up to uh, how they've been playing 
And this is just the next step, which is they just keep getting better. This is why not having a bowl game is really a shame, right, this year. And, and that's the one difference between 2002 is when you have a team like this, they're getting so much better, so much faster. Uh, and, and a lot of it is the coaches realizing what these guys can do and the guys themselves realizing what they can do. And they're like way better than they were three weeks ago. I mean, that's the thing. Who knows where they would be in, you know, four or five weeks in a bowl game. And that's, uh, that's the shame of, of the penalty that, that, that they get that taken away from them because uh, it would be kind of fun to watch and see where they would be uh, in a, at a ball game uh, because I think they'd be a lot better and they'd be healthier. And uh, that would be really interesting to see uh, how good this team uh, how good this team could be if they got to a BCS bowl game and, uh, and had four or five weeks to get ready for it. I agree, Dan. Uh, let's see. We have a question from JJB. And I, I was going to actually bring this up before, Dan, talking about the closeness, the, the closeness of this team and how close-knit it is. And I thought I got, went along with this question. Uh, he wants to know, he was curious what happened with Dylan Baxter. Something has to be going on behind the scenes we just don't know about. Last year, Kiffin said Baxter might be the most talented player on the team. And USC obviously has a lot of talent. They used to use him in Wildcat and extra points and things like that. And then it did seem like this year, Dan, that he had matured a little bit more. Um, you know, it, there was some off-the-field problems last year. We didn't see a lot of that this year. It seemed like he was working a little harder in practice, things like that. That's what, kind of the gist of JGB's question. But then, y- y- because this team is so close-knit, and you heard what Matt Barkley said about, uh, you know, in the I'll let you talk about what he said, you know, post-game in the press conference, it seems like maybe there was still some problems going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about, and getting rid of him was kind of like a addition by subtraction sort of thing. Well, and I think it was, and, and this is the kind of thing probably it's just as well not to, uh, you know, pursue because it kind of really was a family thing. But you almost got the sense from what Matt said and the way others have said it, they referenced kind of the team decided it needed to do something. So it seemed as if the team decided that Matt, or that, uh, uh, Dylan, there were issues there that just weren't being resolved, and that you know, after as many chances uh, to get it right, that it almost seemed like the players themselves had decided uh, that you know what, uh, there are things you got to come around on, you got to be part of it with everybody else, and if you're not, uh, then you're not going to be part of this team. And you almost got the sense, I mean, there has been a little bit of an undercurrent that it was maybe player generated in terms of, uh, look, uh, you're, you're just not right for this team. This team's not right for you. Let's just, uh, you know, let's just solve this problem and we each go our separate ways. Uh, and, and you had a sense of some of that, but it basically, uh, Matt pretty much came out and said that that was the case without being specific about any names or, or, or any particular issues. He just said we had to clear some things up, you know, and, you know, essentially described, uh, you know, a player who had to leave. And, and he, he wasn't the only one. I mean, basically there were, you know, a couple of guys that 
for one of you know they just didn't quite seem to fit with the uh, the way this team was approaching things was going about things and and had been given a lot of chances. I mean it wasn't a case of you know this is your first chance or it wasn't like if you if you fumble the football you know you're going to be on the. Now it was a matter of. Of, of kind of you just don't fit you know there this is how we're doing things and you know we'll give you a lot of chances to to show that you can be part of that and then whatever happened or was continuing to happen uh the team just pretty much said no nah, that's that's not going to work and uh and and then Lane couldn't have been more definitive yesterday on the conference call saying you know, he hasn't been a part of our team for quite a while, and he's never going to be. Uh, and couldn't have made it any more, you know, strong, you know, strong a statement that uh, that it just didn't work out. You know, but I think the players had a lot to say about about what was happening and and why. Yeah, and I think JJB, it does seem like there was obviously something going on behind the scenes. If the players felt that strongly about it, and like no one called him out by a name like Dan said, but that's. Pretty much read between the lines. That's what seemed to happen there. Um, we also had some questions on juniors leaving uh, Pat and David. I, you know, I think I want to just kind of focus on this this season and this victory right now. We've got plenty of time to kind of get into all of that. There's going to be a lot of speculation, a lot of scholarship math, and I think Lane Kiffin said he's had this plan all along, and it's been obviously it's been working pretty well. Um, so we'll go through that. We're going to have a lot of detail on uscfootball.com of what the roster is going to look like, taking the seniors off. And, and Lane Kiffin, like you said, Dan, did make some definitive statements about Baxter not being back. Uh, T.J. Bryant's not going to be back around the team. He said Robbie Boyer, is uh, uh, that's his last year playing, so he's not going to be around either. So there, there'll be some scholarship guys that are freeing up scholarships. We'll go through all the math of, of how that goes on. Um, but one of the other aspects, Dan, about this season, looking back 10-2, and two, uh, USC fans can be happy when – you know, beating your rival twice in you know in the same year, you beat UCLA and you beat Notre Dame. It doesn't happen all that often, and and Pete Carroll did it a lot and kind of made it uh, seem like it was an easy thing to do. Uh, but it, it historically for USC, it hasn't been doing that. And also on the revenge factor, you're talking about games like last year, losing to Washington, or uh, you know losing in Oregon, not beating a, a team in the state of Oregon since 2005, losing to Notre Dame. I think you have to give Lane Kiffin pretty high marks for the season. We're going through kind of these games that you almost needed to win to make the fans feel better. <laughs> he, he was pretty good in all of those games. Well, and the other thing is uh, they came back uh, in games where they didn't, you know, in, in years past would really have been trap games. The uh, Colorado game on a Friday night in the cold uh, after the Notre Dame win. Uh, you know, this, this last week, uh, you know, after winning at uh, Oregon, and I know people were thinking, uh, 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 that's, you know, danger, danger. You know, we've got, uh, you know, we're going to be thinking about it. This team wasn't. I mean, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, different people have picked out different moments. And, you know, my moment, I think, was uh, clearly the, the California game where they uh, uh, struggled offensively. It's a middle-of-the-week game. Uh, you never know what's going to happen when you're playing California just because, they can be as mercurial as, as any team you could ever imagine. You know, they can go from the highest highs to the lowest lows, and you never know. They've always got talent, and uh, they go up and, and play California after, you know, really back-to-back uh, 
just very disappointing defensive efforts. And they just throttled California defensively. Didn't have a great offensive game. Didn't matter. And and Lane took it, I think, exactly the right way. Wow, you know, this is a team that can win with defense and special teams, and we can just take people out. And even though Lane is the offensive you know, coordinator, in effect, uh, and the play caller and all of that, and is really invested in the offense, he was thrilled. I think he took it exactly the right way, and the team took it the right way. Is you know there are a lot of ways you can win football games, and I think that one essentially you know showed them that they can be a complete football team and they can do things you know a lot of different ways, and they got a lot of ways they can win games, and uh, and I think that pointed them in the right direction the rest of the season. I thought it was interesting that last yesterday Lane said the. A couple of the things that happened, uh, you know, on offense that, that really made a big difference. Obviously, Marquise Lee, they could never have foreseen what he was going to bring to the team. And the second one was uh, Curtis McNeil. He said basically they had no idea, you know, no matter even if he technically came out of, uh, uh, you know, in the end of the fall as the number one back. He said they, had, you know, because of his injuries and his academics and all of that, they had no idea that, you know, there's a thousand yard rusher who's going to, you know, have all his long runs and give him a home run threat again. Uh, but on defense, Lane said that if you noticed that once uh, they started Lamar Dawson at middle linebacker at, at Colorado, they were able to do things defensively uh, in terms of running to the football and look at the numbers and what have you that they hadn't been able to do before. And I'm not completely convinced that, that that's the case uh, in terms of they couldn't have done it. Uh, they maybe didn't do it. And uh, uh, I just think having the three linebackers, you know, three freshman linebackers who can run to the football uh, changed the way the coaches thought about their about the defense. Now, having to play – at Notre Dame and, and at uh, Oregon and, and, and some of the things that, you know, were also involved, uh, um, you know, this year uh, helped change the focus of the defense. And I think the Oregon game in so many ways changed them, but I think they went in with a different attitude because of, uh, of Lamar Dawson being able to come back. And had he not had that ankle injury, I'm not sure, you know, that that wouldn't have happened sooner, but, uh, uh but it's obvious uh, they were a changed, uh, uh, changed defense. And, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to run and run to the football. Uh, and I think the other thing that happened that I, I don't think anybody talks about much is in preparing for Oregon, they watched an awful lot of LSU film. And I think it hit them how LSU plays defense. And I think they became very much aware of how LSU runs for the football and how LSU uses its athletes. And uh, I think they realized, you know, we've got athletes a lot like LSU's athletes. And uh, probably the only two teams in the country that have kind of the same kind of athletes, I think, are uh, USC and LSU. And and I, I just think the focus, you could hear them talking differently the more they started talking about Oregon and preparation and LSU, how LSU uh, prepared and how LSU uh, played Oregon 
And I, I, I think that was actually a, a bigger change than maybe even anybody realizes because it, it kind of changed the mindset. They, they really paid attention to what LSU did and how they did it. And, you know, that's a compliment, obviously, to LSU. But it's also, I think, a compliment to USC's athletes on defense. And, and if everybody remembers, those are the same guys that I think some of us really liked last year. And I know a lot of people thought, these guys can't play defense. What the heck? They're just, look at that. Well, they couldn't play the defense they were being asked to play uh, much of the time. But that didn't mean they couldn't play defense. It, it didn't mean they couldn't run to the football. And it was harder to tackle last year because they didn't get to practice it you know, that much. But uh, but those are the same kids. They could play defense. They they just took until now to be able to kind of show uh, for maybe a lot of reasons uh, that they can play uh, they can play a lot of defense. Uh, and there's still issues about, you know, they gave up a lot of yards against UCLA, and they kind of turned it off and turned it on. I called it kind of a rope-a-dope strategy where they let USC or UCLA move the ball down the field, and then they ran out of room to you know, kind of play soft, and then they come up and play, and they wouldn't play soft, and UCLA gets stopped, you know. And that was the other thing, I think, when made it clear that they weren't going to give them anything uh, is they kept those guys in, and uh, they did not let them get into the end zone. They just weren't going to do that. And, uh, and, it, and again, I think that's kind of a compliment to UCLA. They, they weren't going to just, you know, run the subs out there and, and, uh, you know, have some meaningless scores because I think they decided uh, it was meaningful to get a shutout. I don't think they've even been thinking in terms of let's get a shutout. Uh, but when it hits you, okay, that's possible. <laughs> uh, let's go get one. Yeah. Uh, well, one last thing, Dan. We're just about out of time, but I had a quick question from Mark. Uh, he wants to know, uh, ask Dan to find out how many tickets UCLA is allowed for the championship game and then find out how many they sell. My guess is they get less than 10% of the stadium and sell less than 1,000. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, we were thinking, I mean, I was being snarky, I think, there, and I might have said something about those 50 points probably uh, in the UCLA game represent the number of fans the uh, Bruins will have in Eugene. Uh, I can't even imagine uh, the thought of somebody going up there uh, it's just, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it's such a bad idea for the Pac-12 to do that. I mean, it's, 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 it's a complete cop-out. The Pac-12, it's a harder sell. They don't have, you know, like the Big Ten's going to the uh, Indianapolis to the Lucas Oil Stadium for their first championship game. The SEC goes to Atlanta every year, and they know they're going to sell those things out. And uh, regular football fans as well as uh, – you know the fans from the two schools, but uh, but for the, uh, the the Pac-12 to do that, I mean, it would have been a terrible thing if USC would have had to go back there to you know next week, uh, you know, two weeks after having played them there. I mean, the, the Pac-12 has screwed this up so badly. Uh, there's no way, for example, I mean, basically Oregon and uh, uh, you know. USC should never be playing at the end of the year if there's a really good chance that those are going to be the two teams and finish, uh, you know, and play each other again. I mean, it wouldn't be right next year if Oregon, you know, the second last game of the season has to come to the Coliseum and then has to uh, uh, 
come back two weeks later. That wouldn't be right, and it wouldn't have been right uh, for USC to have to go up there. But it's really not right for a team like UCLA to back into the game that that, that the Pac-12 didn't understand uh, that maybe they should put something into the uh, you know championship format that if a team is you know doesn't have a winning record they can't go you know and they're basically you know six and six uh, they don't get to go to the championship game uh, you know for example uh, the Pac-12 is was you know, hesitant to change their rule about if you can't go to a BCS game or you can't go to a championship in a bowl game, a postseason game, excuse me, uh, you can't play in that game. Well, there's just as much reason to keep, if they want to keep USC out, they probably ought to want to keep teams like UCLA out as well. You know, they probably should have thought that through a little bit more and said, you know, if you're, you know, if you got the record six and six, uh, if you you know they could have put a little thing in that said if you've lost two games or four games by 25 or more points, you can't play in the championship game. I mean there are a lot of ways you could have you could have rigged that thing. Uh, but Larry Scott has what he wanted. He 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 expanded the conference. He brought in two teams that don't bring a whole lot as they've proved in football and they're proving in basketball. Two programs that that haven't you know really kept up with the times. They didn't bring in much in terms of uh, demographics and viewership, and uh, and all they really got out of it was a championship game, you know, to expand from 10 to 12, because they would have made as much money easily uh, with a 10-team conference on the new TV deal. Uh, they'd have made as much money per school as they are now, and they they you know now they got they're stuck with this really embarrassing championship game. And uh, in every way, it's embarrassing. So uh, I think the Pac-12, this is going to be a very long week for the people in Walnut Creek. Uh, I know they were passing out credentials for the uh, championship game. And I would think outside of maybe one person, two people from L.A., if there's a person covering that game from any place else other than Oregon, uh, I can't even imagine. Uh, you know, there won't be a single national writer, national media person there. I mean, Fox had to put on their yesterday their championship game show, and they had to open up with uh, uh, Rick Neuheisel and Kevin Prince, who I really admire. He's a heck of a kid. <laughs> they had to open it up with uh, Rick Neuheisel answering questions about is he going to be fired. I mean, how do you promote a championship game when the first thing you do is you talk to the UCLA coach about whether he's going to be fired or not? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. I mean, it's just, it's it's the most embarrassing uh, championship I think I've almost ever seen in any sport at any level. Uh, it, it's, it's uh, the Pac-12's got a disaster on its hands, and I can't imagine. They announced that they were going to get Fourteen to fifteen million dollars from Fox for that game. If that's true, there got to be guys jumping off the top of that Fox TV building over there <laughs> in uh, West LA because that's just that would be the worst deal any TV uh, uh, you know network has ever made. Uh, it just it couldn't be worse in every way, shape, or form. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff as always. We uh, just to remind people we are going to do a recruiting podcast podcast on tuesday so we'll be back with the trojan blast we'll talk to gerard and get a lot of recruiting information but had to uh last couple of weeks we had to talk about these games since there was so much going on and we'll get into all those other topics as well 
as we roll on going through recruiting season and all that. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on. Great insight. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. See ya. Bye. All right. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow talking USC recruiting. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.